0: The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I am excited to start a new series called Soul Food, and um, I'm going to get to the why behind that here in just a little bit. But uh, before we jump in real quick, we're going to be in 1 Peter and the New Testament today, um, we're kind of gonna be in a bunch of places. I'm gonna refer to a few different scriptures, but first Peter is gonna be kind of that landing point. So we'll get to that in a moment. Like I said, today is a brand new series we start called Soul Food. And um, I'm gonna start with a rather gross story. So bear with me. But uh, when I was a kid growing up in North Marysville, uh, my friends and I used to ride our bike to the 116th Street store. Now, right now, is that's where Arby's and Sonic and stuff is at. It used to be right there. It was the only thing there. There was nothing else anywhere near there. And so we would ride our bikes over there, and we would take whatever lawn mowing money or car wash money or whatever money we had, and we would ride over there and we'd buy all kinds of junk from, uh, chips to, to, you know, pop candy bars, um, whatever. And we'd ride back and we'd be munching on it. We'd be munching on it all day. And if it was still left, we'd still be munching on it at night. Well, one of the things that we would buy are, uh, were Jolly Ranchers. And most of us know what Jolly Ranchers are, the tiny little kind of hard candy. And there was, you know, like watermelon or apple, sour apple and cherry, all kinds of flavors, fire flavor. And, um, I remember a few times as a kid we would ride our bikes back to my house and I remember sitting in my driveway which was pretty flat. And we, we had this game, and again, this is kind of gross, but the idea was you put a Jolly Rancher in your mouth, and as your salivary glands go crazy, the goal was to make the biggest puddle of spit that you could until the whole thing disintegrated. Again, I know that's disgusting, and I can't tell you back then who won. I do remember large puddles of spit. What's my point to this whole story? It's simply this. A Jolly Rancher in your mouth disintegrates and that's it. God bless. Have a great week. Thanks for coming to drive in. That's not it. Okay. Um, no. Okay. So a Jolly Rancher in your mouth disintegrates. Duh. We know that's true. Um, a soap tablet in your running dishwasher disintegrates. Lots of things when put in liquid disintegrate. In fact, in the big picture over time and in the elements, things in general disintegrate. I've never really considered that word until a couple of years ago um, Heather and I were working through some heart healing after a life-shattering moment in our family. And somehow we came across a book called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. Now, I've been reading John Ortberg for, gosh, 15 plus years probably, and always appreciated his writing. And so we came across this book and we kind of were reading through it. Well, uh, by the way, this is also, like I said, this series Soul Food is based out of what John Ortberg is writing in this book, Soul Keeping. But anyway, um, in the book, he talks about this word disintegrate. And that's when, um, I've always looked at it like the word dissolve, like it just kind of goes away or or something like that. And and he, he talks about disintegrate. And I read these words that began to change everything. Listen carefully. An unhealthy soul is one that experiences disintegration. And that's when, as he began to talk about it, he's not talking about this idea of dissolve. In fact, he's saying this. He's saying the parts of our world that make up our souls aren't in sync together and they're not connected correctly to the right source. At the core, think about this for a minute, at the core of the word disintegration is the word integrity, an integer. We know in math that an integer is a whole number. So integrity is living as a whole person. So integrated or or the opposite, disintegrated, means things aren't working properly as a whole. The pieces aren't working properly. They're disintegrated. And some of you already knew that. I just never really knew that. I just thought of disintegrate, goes away, dissolves. And that's not it. An unhealthy soul is the one that experiences disintegration. The psalmist ends both Psalm 42 and 43 with a verse that says this, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? So again, thinking about the soul, John Ortberg is talking about disintegration of the soul. The psalmist says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? If you go to Psalm 103, which is one of my favorite psalms, it says this, "'Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits.'" And so the psalmist brings up this idea of the soul. And here's the thing. You and I are well aware that there's always something going on inside of us. We're a mix of things we feel and things we think and ways that we process and past memories and histories and experiences and all that stuff. So there's this inner dialogue where maybe you even talk to yourself as you open your sock drawer and go, "Mm, I think we're going to wear these today. Who are you talking to? It's this inner dialogue that goes on something is always going on within our being. If you think about it, there are battles that we face from from things like anxiety and and fear, depression and and anger and all of this stuff. We know sometimes what sin is, but we give into it anyway. And then we look back baffled by what just happened and why. We appreciate forgiveness. We appreciate God's grace and unending love for us. Yet, we live in this cycle of what I would sort of call puzzled rebellion. Like, what is going on here? James, over and over, when you read James' letter to the church... All the way through, he's kind of giving different examples of here's this, but here's this, and they shouldn't go together. And when you read, by the way, if you read that letter sometime this week, you'll notice exactly what I'm saying. But at one point, he talks about how we 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 curse man and we bless God. It shouldn't be that way. He talks about that you and I should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And yet in the world we live in, so many of us are quick to speak and slow to To listen. We feel this kind of shaking going on deep inside of us at certain points, and yet we're like, I don't know what to do with all that's kind of going on, and it feels very confusing. So what do we do? How do we change it? How do we find a better option than just eking through life stuck in a pattern that just doesn't change? Because here's the thing this world would sort of, of tell us that, that, well, we just are how we are and, and things are what they are, and as long as you're sort of doing your best and as long as your intentions are, are kind of right, well, that's kind of all we can do. And at the end, it'll all kind of just be fine, just as long as you're trying. And yet I believe the Lord would tell us that in a resounding way, there's a whole nother way to understand this conversation as we entered this whole season of pandemic and, and what's going on and, and all the different kind of people processing the world right now, as I began to step back and really was prayerful, and I still am, but as I was prayerful back in March in particular, I remember thinking through, okay, I'm the lead pastor of a church, but, but specifically, I want to make sure I'm leading our pastoral team and our staff in the right way. And, and something hit me like a ton of bricks back in March, and it was this. You know what? There's something about, in, in a season like this, I want to help our team and our church see differently. And, and so I, I say that because there's a basic life principle that we probably all understood or understand whether you've put it to words or not. And it goes like this. Again, this is not revolutionary, but it goes like this. In a different season, you'll learn things you would never learn when things are quote-unquote normal. And so as I'm thinking back in March, what does it look like for me to lead in a different way, in a different world that we're in right now, especially with our pastoral team and, so, and, our, and our staff? And so I began to, to think back to soul keeping in the book I had read a couple of years back and revisited it. And, and we've been walking through it together for a couple of months now. And I think it's been really, really helpful. But here's the thing. I desperately want our church team, our staff, our administrative staff, our pastors and stuff. I desperately want them. I want us as a church body. And I want our community, listen, to learn and to thrive and to grow and become what God intends. And so this conversation is a time loan. So here's what I'm going to ask of you as we begin this series. And, and I would hope that maybe you're already doing some of these things. But but here's what I would ask. First of all, listen carefully and intently. It's not because I have a bunch of amazing things to say. I would hope as a pastor, I'm prayerfully considering always what I'm saying, but I think there's some great resources and scriptures that we're gonna look at together that I think could really help all of us right now, okay? So I I would say listen intently or carefully. Number two, be a note taker. I've said for years we need to be note takers. I could go back to 1992 and I've got yellow uh, notepads and white notepads and then eventually journal books full of sermon notes, message notes, teaching notes that I've sat and listened and written things down because as you know, like I do, paper, uh, you know, paper doesn't forget even though you and I do. Or, or your phone, you type things in, it won't forget the way that you would. So be a note taker one way or another. Number three, and I am never going you know, like, to preempt scripture with this comment, but I want to encourage you to consider buying the book Soulkeeping by John Ortberg because there's so much more. This is just going to be a four-week series. There's so much more in this book than we could ever kind of get into. And so we're going to take kind of an overview to a degree, but I think it really could be helpful for your personal library for you to own it. You can go on Kindle and get it and stuff like that. But anyway, Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. And finally, and this never goes without saying, number four, invite the Holy Spirit to bring about transformation in you and in me and in us together. Because I believe a series like this is very timely. How can we become what God wants us to become? How can we leverage the uniqueness of this season to see differently and to learn differently? And when we go back to like, what is our soul? And what does it mean to understand what our soul is and how our soul operates so we can thrive, so we can navigate this world that, that on one hand can feel so scary and big and crazy and nuts, and yet keep our heads. So, so let, me, let me jump in and start right here. The soul is mentioned in the Old and New Testaments almost a hundred times. In Psalms alone, which yeah, Psalms is a rather long book in the Bible, But in Psalms alone, the soul is mentioned 29 times. Peter, we have two letters in scripture from Peter that he wrote to the church. In the first letter, a short letter, he writes about the soul three times. And so I want to pick up on that. I'm going to read a couple of things here just to simply give you kind of an idea of this conversation. It says this in 1 Peter 1 verses 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, continue on in that letter, and in chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. And a few verses later, in chapter 2, verse 25, it says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And there it is again. Now I say that because from these verses alone, you could almost create a sermon within each point right here, these three verses. Because when you look at it, Peter indicates, number one, our souls need salvation. And and what does that mean? And we'll talk about that at the very end in a few minutes here. Okay. Another one he's saying is our souls are at war. He talked about sinful desires that wage war against our souls. And finally, in chapter 2, verse 25, we have a shepherd of our souls. A God who cares so much about all the inner workings that it matters to him what we're becoming. We're familiar in this world with the word soul. In fact, y- you go back and think about like when a judge offers or, or, or gives some a criminal a death sentence, sometimes a phrase they will use at the end of it is, "May God have mercy on your soul." I think of the kid's prayer that goes like this. Most of us know it. Now I lay me down to sleep, I praise the Lord my soul to keep. And then it gets a little morbid where if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And you think, kids, man, that's you know, anyway. Um, I think about that. I think of when when and a report is given and maybe a plane crashes or or a boat sinks and it'll say, you know, X there were X amount of souls on board. Um we hear of the idea of strength of soul, or that that person is the soul of the organization. I was thinking of the movie, Remember the Titans, and and if you remember the movie from way back, it was about race relations in the South, and and the integration of schools, instead of having separate black schools and white schools integration, and it was about a football team, based on a true story, that that needed to learn to work together, and at practice, and just all this stuff, but there was a point where they begin to, to get united, and begin to sort of believe in each other, and two of the leaders of the team of course one black and one white one says to the other you know what kind of power do you got and they're trying to rally and encourage one another and the one guy responds I've got soul power so we're familiar with these phrases most of us know or have heard the eyes are the window to the soul and in fact and I'm not kidding about this in our 8:30 gathering this morning the first car to pull in pulled in right here and I'm not joking it was a white Kia Soul we even have a car named soul. And so we're familiar with this word soul. It's just hard for us to wrap our heads around, well, what is it? I know it's some inner thing, but what is it? So in soul keeping, John Ortberg describes a conversation with Dallas Willard, who's a theologian and author and, and professor and, and just, just a wise person that he really enjoyed being around. But it goes like this. John Ortberg was a, is a pastor. He's an author. He's a pastor down in the... the, the um, San Francisco area, but he says this. I work, this is a conversation between him and Dallas Willard. I work at a church and my job is saving souls. I began, but if someone asked me, I'd have a hard time saying exactly what a soul is. Is soul just a word religious people throw around? I wasn't prepared for Dallas's answer. Brother John, why is there such value and mystery to your existence? The really deep reason, listen to this, is because of this tiny, fragile, vulnerable, precious thing about you called your soul. Then he goes back and he quotes Genesis, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Your soul was made by God, made for God, made to need God, which means you weren't made to be self-sufficient. In one of his books, Dallas further explained, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances, not your thoughts, not your intentions, not even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of human beings. Now, the importance here, and I want you to listen to this, and I'm quoting John Orberg. The importance here is this. If your soul is healthy, no external circumstances can destroy your life. If your soul is unhealthy, no external circumstances can redeem your life. And that makes me think about the way that Jesus carried himself in the midst of people that disagreed, in the midst of people that as the heat was turned up, eventually wanted him killed, in the midst of people that would lie about who he was, Jesus never lost it. Jesus never got to a point where he was so completely out of control. Now you could say, well, wait a minute, what about at the temple where he flipped tables and talked about my house is to be a house of prayer? It's because of his passion, not enlivened by anger and sin. And yet we see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane praying, Lord, take this cup from me. Talking about going to the cross. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And so we see Jesus agonizing and yet saying, God, I want what you want. I'm surrendered to you. My soul lives in connection to who you are and what you're asking of me. So God, I want what you want more than anything else. To me, that's the epitome of what Ortberg is saying when he says, if your soul is healthy, no external circumstances can destroy your life. So what is the soul? Let me try to explain it this way, and maybe this will help. Think of a target. And on a target, you have the center, the bullseye, and then you have a ring outside of that and another and another, and depending on how big it goes, a bunch of rings, And so think of it this way, at the very center, you have, and if you're taking notes, maybe draw this in circles or whatever, but in the center, you have the will, your will, my will, we have a will. And at the core, our will is our capacity to choose. This is what makes you and I people and not computers or robots. We have a free will. We have a choice to be made. In fact, in the world that we live in, we highly value our will in a country founded on freedom. Our will is a big deal. We, we are hearing even today in this political arena that's so heated at times, don't impose your will on me. And this whole debate raging, and I'll only set that aside for a minute and talk about we have a will. Now, that's not the end of it because some of us might argue, well, that's great, but why is it that my will doesn't do the things that I maybe want or should do? And let me just say this because it's something that that Dallas Willard does address and I appreciated it. The will is very good at making simple and even large commitments like getting married or deciding to move somewhere. But it is very bad at trying to override habits and patterns and attitudes that are deeply rooted inside of us. If you try to improve your soul by willpower, you will exhaust yourself and everyone else around you. So at the core, think of the target, the bullseye, the will. Now, the next ring out within that ring, right, mind. Because this is all the ways a person is conscious of things. It includes emotions because you and I oftentimes make decisions in our will based on what we know and what we feel. They're not necessarily mutually exclusive. And oftentimes you go, well, that's what gets me in trouble. Sometimes my emotions override what I know, and there's this battle. And by the way, I've already mentioned Romans 7 describes that whole battle. But, okay, at the bullseye, there's the will. The next ring out is the mind, our thoughts, and our feelings. In Romans 8, chapter 6, sorry, chapter 8, verse 6, (laughs) in Romans 8, 6, Paul says this, the mind... Of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. What he's saying, and this goes back to some of my favorite verses that we're going to talk about Romans 12, where he says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Paul is saying that there's, we have this mental capacity that includes our emotions, that when it's controlled by the flesh, it ends in death. Bad decisions, patterns, habits, the disintegration. Of our souls. And yet, on the other hand, when we live in surrender to the Spirit, there's this sense of peace and life because things are integrating together correctly our will and our mind. And then the third rung out, if you're drawing this, the third circle would be body. Because we all know that we are flesh and blood. We are also spirit. It's not mutually exclusive. There were people that came along in the first century church and tried to create different heresies or believed different heresies about, well, Jesus wasn't real. He was just only spirit. Or on the other hand, Jesus wasn't, you know, spirit at all. He was just flesh. And we, we don't fully understand that debate today. And in fact, in our Zoom discipleship, we've been talking about out of Colossians, heresy on Tuesday nights. But it's this issue of bad teaching that gets out there. The truth is you and I are will and we're mind, but we're also very much physical body. And we probably kind of know that intuitively. When we talk about body, it's this. The body is our little kingdom. And I quote, that's the one place in all the universe where our tiny wills have a chance to be in charge. Our bodies are like little power packs. We couldn't be us without them. They're filled with all kinds of appetites and all kinds of habits. In a way, we outsource behaviors from tying our shoelaces to driving a car to our bodies so that our wills And our minds don't have to worry about them. Our bodies are amazing, but they're not the whole story. I am not just my body alone. So the soul, if you, you, again, think of that target, one more ring and write soul. Because our soul consists of body, mind, and will. That's the whole picture together. The soul is the capacity to integrate all the parts into a single whole life. As we continue in this series, like I mentioned, we're going to talk about Romans 12, two, the renewing of our minds. We're going to talk about when Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the world but forfeit his soul? And we're going to get back to Peter here in just a second, but there's one catch that I want to make sure that you and I understand because in this world, there's some teaching that's kind of got out there that we really have to be aware of. I couldn't say it better than John Ortberg, which is why he's an author, and I guess I'm not. But, But in this book, he says this, and this is the warning he gives us. Our world has replaced the word soul with the word self, and they are not the same thing. The more we focus on ourselves, the more we neglect our souls. The word psychologist comes from the Greek word psyche, which actually means soul. That ought to be what psychology is about, apart from what anyone thinks about religion. Sigmund Freud wrote that treatment of the psyche means treatment of the soul. One could also understand it to mean treatment of sickness when it occurs in the life of the soul. But psychology has focused on the self and carries a totally different connotation than the soul. To focus on my soul means to look at my life under the care and connection of God. To focus on myself apart from God means losing awareness of what matters most. Now, listen to this. The Journal of the American Medical Association cited a study that indicates in the 20th century in the 1900s, in the 20th century, people who lived in each generation were three times more likely to experience depression than folks in the generation before them. Despite the rise of the mental health profession, people are becoming increasingly vulnerable to depression. Why? Martin Seligman, a brilliant psychologist with no religious axe to grind, has a theory that And that it's because we have replaced church and faith and community with a tiny little unit that cannot bear the weight of meaning. That's the self. We're all about self. We revolve our lives around ourselves. Listen to this. Ironically, the more obsessed we are with ourselves, the more we neglect our souls. All of our language reflects this. If you're empty, you need to fulfill yourself. If you're stressed, learn how to take care of yourself. If you're on a job interview, you have to believe in yourself. If you're at a tattoo parlor, you must learn to express yourself. If someone dares to criticize you, you have to love yourself. If you're not getting your own way, you have to stand up for yourself. What should you do on a date? You ought to be yourself. But what if yourself is a train wreck? What do you do then? Self, and this is the end, self is a stand-alone, do-it-yourself unit. While the soul reminds us that we were not made for ourselves, the soul always exists before God. And so I take us back to First Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, talking about that vital connection to a Savior. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Peter in that context is not simply talking about the veil between here and eternity. And when we pass through that veil, we get to the salvation of our souls. Well, wow, That's great. That's not exactly what he means. He's saying this sense of life, this sense of purpose, this sense of passion, this sense of inexpressible joy is not based on all of the outward circumstances that you and I face all the time. What we have we're holding on to is this faith in God, our soul's connection to our Savior that that Peter says is the result of our faith the salvation of our souls, not meaning eternity so much as meaning every day that we live with a confidence and a peace and a strength and a love that doesn't leave and a joy that's inexpressible at times because we hold on to our faith no matter what. And like I said, in the next few weeks, as we dive more into this series, we're gonna talk about what Jesus says regarding the soul. We're going to talk about this renewing of the mind and the value of understanding these different parts and how they can continue to be integrated appropriately so our souls don't become disintegrated. Because I know there are people even listening right now, maybe through a windshield, maybe sitting at home, wherever you might be, that right now you hear what I'm saying and you feel that soul disintegration. You feel that separation, this war going on, this sense of, of, I don't get it. It's a scramble of mess going on inside and I don't even know what to do. With it, And my hope would be that today begins to bring some light that as we continue through this series, we hold on to this sense of who we are, how God has created us, and that vital connection to our Heavenly Father that gives us purpose and strength and inexpressible and glorious joy. Father, that's my prayer. God, as we wind up today is simple intro to the series, but my hope would be that maybe as we begin to look at these different parts of our lives, Instead of disintegration, God, we begin to look at the parts and realize when they're not working correctly, things are broken. Things aren't well. We feel it in our souls. And I pray you'd help us navigate and understand better. Thank you for an author like John Orberg, but God, thank you even more so for the scriptures that enlighten us about these pieces of our whole, these pieces of our souls that matter so much. God, your love, your care, we surrender to you. Help us, even as I said, as we invite the Holy Spirit to continue the process for all of us of transformation because that's an ongoing work as we live in this world, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, man, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Again, whether you drove in, whether you're online, you're viewing it, we appreciate it. As you make your way out real quick, if you're, if you're driving in, follow the parking crew, respect their, their directions, because we try to create a peaceful flow and drive carefully through the neighborhood to keep our neighbors smiling rather than frustrated with us. We appreciate that. Also, if you drove in, you got a card or a giving envelope, you can drop those off on your exit. There's a little bin, you can put those in, and uh, we appreciate that. We also would say if you're online and you've got a comment you want to make or a prayer request just like those driving in, they can write it down. If you're online, you can click on that prayer link, type in a prayer. We always want to be praying with you, and we do every single week for every need that comes in. So, we do that. And finally, um, if you've got giving, you can do that online at grove.church. We appreciate it. We continue to operate because of the faithfulness of the body of Christ. We're in this together, so we appreciate that. Otherwise, um, God bless you. Thanks again for being here. Have an awesome day. Have a great week, uh, the week of August 9th already. So, anyway, thanks for being here. God bless. Appreciate it thank you for listening to the grove church marysville sermon podcast if you want to keep up with us like us on facebook instagram or visit our website at grove.church